Today we are starting a new sermon series looking at James's letter. And James was uh, the younger brother of Jesus, so just as you, as you hear his letter read in a moment, just, just think yourself into the shoes of James. Imagine what it's like. It's hard to be a younger brother in any context, but to be a younger brother when your older brother is the son of the Most High God and, you know, perfect and flawless in every way, that's just a whole lot to deal with growing up. Wonderful and complex, I imagine, at the same time. And we have this amazing letter from James. And so what I'm going to do is just uh, start this off now by reading. This is James in chapter 1. James writes, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. And then verse 12, Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life, that the Lord has promised to those who love him. I want to speak today. My message today is called Don't Waste Your Trial. Don't waste your trial. Facing trials is as much a part of life as breathing air. It's what it means to be human. And the question is not, are you going to face trials and tests and trouble in your life? But the question is, uh, when they come and how will you face them? What will your response be? And I imagine right now, today, um, there are a number of us here who are in this moment facing a significant trial in at least one area of your life. It might be in the workplace, a difficult project, a pressured situation, a complicated person. It might be in a relationship, a relationship that you put hope in has slightly seemed to fall apart, a relationship that you long to come to pass hasn't come to pass, or maybe you've you've got a friendship which is really important to you, but it's just become slightly tricky, and it feels like you're in the midst of a trial, and I know how that feels today for myself. I'm in the midst of a trial today, and it's interesting, Jesus never promised us that we, if we followed him, we wouldn't have to face trials. Actually, sometimes following Jesus can mean you face more trials, but with one significant difference, that Jesus promises to be with us in the midst of them. You can't choose your trials, what they'll be, or when they come, but you can choose how you'll face them. And in this passage, we can see that those trials can actually work something good in your life, that even hidden within the trials you face, might be the blessing you long to seek. So don't waste your trial. So what do we see in this passage? Well, the first thing we see is to treat your trial like a gift. Treat your trial like a gift. And that might sound crazy. You might be sitting here thinking, there's no way on earth that what I'm facing right now is a good thing or could be described as a present or a gift, and I'm sure that's right. But how you think about trials will shape how you respond to them and the impact you have on your life. And James writes, consider it pure joy, brothers and sisters, when you face, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Consider it. It means like frame it. Treat it. The message translation says, consider it a sheer gift when tests and challenges come at you. Might not look like a gift, might not feel like a gift, it might not even be a good thing in and of itself, and you wouldn't wish it on anyone, but can you frame it, consider it, treat it, treat the process of facing that trial as a gift in your life? And that's quite important because the risk is if you don't treat a trial as a gift, you'll think of it as a curse. And James says 
It's when you face trials, you know, whenever you face trials, not if you face trials. And what that means is just because you're facing a trial doesn't mean you, you've done something wrong and you're being punished for it. Just because you're facing a trial doesn't mean that God is angry at you and he doesn't love you anymore. Just because you're facing a trial doesn't mean there's no hope for your future. Trials just come. It doesn't matter if you're rich or you're poor. It doesn't matter if you've got your life together or it feels like it's falling apart. It doesn't matter if you're the most moral person you've ever met or if you feel like you're messing up on a daily basis. Trials just come. And the trials you face are not God's verdict on your life. Don't misunderstand them. You you could live a perfect life and you wouldn't be able to get rid, eliminate trials from your life. And even if you could, it wouldn't be a good thing. But unless you reframe your trial, it can start to undermine your faith. So the challenge is, how do I treat my trial like a gift? Well, last week I was driving some colleagues to a prayer retreat and we were driving on the A4 on our way out west out of London and suddenly this guy in a massive souped up Range Rover kind of overtook me at great speed and then cut right in front of me, completely cut me up and it meant that I had to brake really sharply and, and it's kind of slightly frustrating and then he bombed off up the road and of course I just like, you know, let him go off on the road, let him get, you know, not going to let it bother me at all and, um, and we carried on driving with saying like, he's a bit of an idiot but never mind, you know, kind of thing, just drove, but this amazing thing happened. At the next roundabout, he was still there. So we kind of pulled up behind him. You know, you feel a little bit smug, self-satisfied, like that didn't really help you. And we pulled up behind him. And then there was a big break in the traffic. And it looked like he was going to go. He just started to move. And then for whatever reason, he stopped. And I was just rolling gently forward. And then I rolled a little bit too far gently forward. And I just gently kissed his bumper, um, you know, as you do. And I've got a little photo of it. You can see if you look very close, there's the tiniest little scratch there on his bumper of his Range Rover. And um, I've actually had worse scratches just shaving but um but there we are and anyway so he reacted and very surprisingly he jumped out of his car he came flying around the side of his car and started screaming he was like you idiot what do you think you're doing you look at my car you know and was just screaming at the top of his voice shouting me screaming and I was like wow this is getting a bit this is slightly embarrassing I've got colleagues in the car on my way to a prayer retreat and he was just shouting <laughs> shouting at me and I thought I'll, I'll sort it out so I went, I went on the window I leaned out and I said I'm so sorry it's entirely my fault and I thought that would diffuse the situation it had the opposite effect he got more angry came right up to my window and then I suddenly thought he's gonna hit me this guy's going to hit me. And a number of things went through my head. I thought, you know, that's slightly embarrassing, you know, to get hit in front of your colleagues. Um, I looked him up and down, if you ever do this, I looked him up and down and I thought, this is going to be an even fight. Like, he's, he's a little bit smaller than me, but much more aggressive. And so it's going to kind of be... And then the third thing I thought was, what am I thinking? I'm a pastor on the A4 coming out of London. I can't get into a fight. This is a nightmare. And then... He said, I'm going to rip you from your car. He reached over and he opened, started to open my car door. And I was like, this is happening right now. (laughs) And in that moment, my passenger started to open his door. And I looked to my left and I suddenly remembered, Des is in the car. Now, Des was a bouncer on the streets (laughs) of Glasgow for a number of years. Worked at very, very violent clubs. He's a big, big guy. He was famed on the streets of Glasgow for being able to knock people out with one punch. He'd been stabbed three times on the streets of Glasgow. He, he came on an Alpha course, he became a Christian, and, and his life was turned around, and now he leads Alpha in Scotland. Here's a picture of him. 
But he's, he still knows how to knock someone out with one punch, and he's still about 23, 25 stone. He's a big guy. He got out of the car, walked around straight up to this guy, and this amazing thing happened. He was like, what's the problem? And the guy kind of shrunk. He kind of like went really quiet and sheepish and just said, oh, it's just a scratch. And he said, yeah, it is, it is a scratch. Look, it's tiny. I can barely see it. And we're chatting. So then I got out of the car, went around to them. I said, so sorry again. Should we exchange insurance details? He was like, yes. And, um, and then we had this really awkward two-minute conversation where we were kind of changing. How do you spell that? Is it two Ts? Kind of, he was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and then eventually, you know, he kind of got back in his car and drove off. And we, we got back in my car, sat down. We'd completely forgotten there was still a third colleague, Michael, in the back of my car. He leaned forward and said, guys, I was trying to get out to be there right with you, but the child locks were on. I was like, okay, uh, that's fine. Now, now, here's the thing. Here's the thing. It wasn't a very pleasant situation. It's not nice to have someone scream in your face from about this much distance. It's not nice to feel like you're about to be physically attacked. Didn't enjoy any of that particularly. You know, I could have responded by saying, God, I don't believe this. You know, it's a nightmare. What are you playing at? I'm on my way to pray, and you let me hit this car in front, and you, there was this crazy guy in it. It's all your fault. I could have got started to grumble and complain. But the reality is I didn't enjoy facing that trial, but I was much happier I did face that trial with Des in the seat next to me. <laughs> like in all future contexts where physical violence is involved, I think I need him around. They're just a useful guy to have around. Now, you might be facing a trial right now in your life, might not be fun, might not be enjoying it, might wish it wasn't there. But if Jesus is right next to you, that changes the dynamic of how you can face that trial. That changes how you can frame it. You can actually say, actually, you're with me in this. Jesus is beside me. Spirit of God is in me. And that means I can face this, even though it's really difficult, and start to treat it as a gift. Not because it's good in and of itself. Not because I, I want it in my life, but because good things can be drawn out of it. You know, some of the trials you face don't make sense. But I'd rather experience them with Jesus beside me. Because joy is in the absence of suffering. It's the presence of Jesus. A trial can be a gift because it pushes you closer to him. That doesn't mean you pretend that you enjoy hassle. You know, someone says, how's your day? You put on a fake smile. Oh, even though it's been a nightmare day. But it does mean I want to reassess my trial in the light of the truth about who God is rather than reassess the truth about who God is in the light of the trial I'm facing. Now, if you're facing a trial of Jesus, you can treat it as a gift because you know he is Lord, he is King, and there's nothing you face which he can't turn for good and for his glory. It might be it was intended to harm you, but he can use it to help you. He can use it to bring good things out of it. Actually, after that incident, Des and I connected in a new way. We really enjoyed the conversation afterwards, hearing some tales from the Glasgow streets. You know, we, you know I, I can tell you this story now. Good, I'm not going to start driving around nudging cars, like, you know, roundabouts. But good things can be drawn out of it. You know, trials will either cause you to push God away or they'll cause you to draw close to him. They'll shake your faith or they can strengthen it. The difference is how you frame it. Don't waste your trial. Make the decision, I'm going to treat this trial as a gift. Not because I enjoy pain, but because of what it signifies. You know, I have to remind myself, this, God loves me. God's committed to my eternal good. Even the most confusing and painful things in my life will ultimately serve his purposes. 
And even the trial I'm in can be an opportunity for God to bless me. He can turn this trial into a testimony. And my trial isn't a punishment to be resented. It's a gift to be received. Treat your trial like a gift. But then also, the other way you don't waste your trial is to find the blessing in the trial. Now, trials aren't fun. They're frustrating. They're upsetting. They're confusing. But they can also work something in you of profound spiritual value. There is stuff you can learn in a trial which you can't learn when life is easy. Things God can teach you when you're up against it which you will never learn when everything is going your way. James says, you know, the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work in you so that you may be mature and complete. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial. If you can face them in the right way, trials will work something in you which can bring huge blessing to your life. It will produce perseverance. It will increase your capacity to keep going. It will help you to stand firm in the storm and to last the course. So how do you do that? Well, I don't know about you, but we, we all build our lives on different things, like different foundations. And maybe you're here today and you feel a bit wobbly, or maybe you're here today and you feel a bit secure. But we build our things on different things. And some of these things are good things, they're just not necessarily the best things. So for me, at times in my life, da, 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 um, yeah, yeah. in times in my life, I've built you know, my life on different things. So I, I've, really, I've, really, I've really kind of established myself on my status. So if I'm doing well at work, and I feel like I've got a significant job, then that is one of the foundation blocks that I think helps me get through kind of a trial or a storm. Because I can always say, well, at least that's going well. Um, but sometimes some of those things we rely on get kind of knocked out by trials. Like for me, you know, my status, you know, I, I used to work as a barrister. People used to pay me a lot of money uh, to give them advice. Now my advice is available for free. People wouldn't even take it. Like, it's so annoying. Um, so some of these things get knocked out, or maybe it's finances or something else. So there's something else where you think actually, actually, it just kind of gets tucked away, and um, something that you had kind of put some uh, basis on starts to get pulled out of your life, and suddenly it doesn't feel quite so secure. It doesn't feel quite so steady. And sometimes they can be little things. Sometimes they can be big things. So I've mentioned that um, before that um, Beth's mum Sarah uh, been battling cancer for four years and just watching her go through that has had quite an impact on us and particularly since uh, October when it, the cancer came back really, really strongly and Sarah started to deteriorate quite quickly and quite painfully. Um, it was quite a trial, it was quite a storm to go through because it knocks out a number of the things that you rely on. You think, oh, we're smart enough to come up with a solution. We can fix this. We can plan a way out of it. No, we can't. Oh, well, we, we can use our resources to kind of to help the situation in some way. No, no amount of money is going to help. Oh, well, we can, we can do something. Because surely there's something we can do to make the situation better. No, there isn't. And, um, and actually, um, just, just three weeks ago, um, Sarah lost her battle and she died. And such a painful thing to go through. And it kind of shakes you. A trial like that shakes you. And it kind of shakes your foundation. Some of the things you thought, well, this will see me through. They aren't going to cut it anymore. Some of the things are not necessarily bad things, but they're just not going to see you through to eternity because they're not strong enough in and of themselves. Now, I don't know what the answer is to the trial you face today, but I can tell you what I have been doing over the last few weeks and months to try and re-establish some foundations in my life as other things have been knocked out by this trial we've been facing. You know, the things that have helped me, as James writes, to persevere in the midst of the trial. One of them 
is to really commit to praying my tears. So I've tried to pray my tears. In the Psalms it says, you know, you don't, you can come to God with your rawest human emotions. You don't just have to kind of make it all shiny for God. You can say exactly how you're feeling. So when I've been kind of weeping about the situation, I've said, I want to turn those tears into prayers. I want to turn the things I'm afraid of into prayers to you, God. And I want to pray my tears. And that's kind of reestablished some foundations. Then I've also said, actually, I, the, the danger for me was because life was so crazy, I wasn't actually feeding my soul with God's word. You know, getting stuck into the Bible and actually saying, God, would you speak to me through this? So I started setting my alarm 30 minutes earlier. First thing I want to do in the day, I want to go to God's word. And I say, God, I need you to feed my soul to get through this day. This, I'm in a storm, I'm in a trial, so I need to establish, I want, to, I want you, God, to help me to feed my soul. So I started to read the Bible more. And then I said, well, actually, that's not enough. I, I, I'm listening to my heart, and it's like up and down. My heart is nervous, I'm anxious. I don't just want to listen to my heart, I want to speak, I want to sing to my heart. So I made the decision that as much as possible, I was going to listen to worship music, which kind of really glorified God and reminded me of deep truths about God. So I started to do that. I started to kind of sing to my soul. Oh, steady. And that reestablished that. And then I guess the final thing I've done, I've prayed my tears, I've fed my soul, I've sung to my heart, and then I've tried to lean on my friends. Now, I don't know about you, but I find it really hard to do this. There's a part of me that wants to be independent, doesn't want to have to rely on other people. But actually just giving myself the permission to lean on my friends has made a massive difference. You're not meant to go through these things on your own. You're meant to be connected to other people. And that's enabled me to reestablish my foundation so that even though the storm comes, the trial comes, there are eternal foundations there which will see me through not just this month, but hopefully this year and the rest of my life and enable me to persevere. Don't waste your trial. You know, the trial you face might have within it the blessing you seek. The trial I've faced has made me more compassionate. It's made me kinder. It's increased my faith. And it's a little bit like when gold is refined. When gold is refined, the goldsmith heats up the gold. And as he heats it up, or she heats it up, they, 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 they skim imperfections off the top of the gold. And they heat it up, they skim off the imperfections. They heat it up, they skim off the imperfections. And, and until they skimmed off so much imperfection that you're left with gold of such a purity, molten gold of such a purity, that the goldsmith can see their actual reflection in the surface of the gold. And it's almost like that with uh, trials. Trials aren't God's rejection of you, they're his refining of you. They are the very thing that can make you more like Jesus. When I went to see Beth's mum, Sarah, just before she died, it was so tragic because her body was wasting away. She was so sick and she was so frail, tiny really. It was shocking because she'd been so healthy and almost youthful just a few months before. But the thing that stayed with me, someone who knew and loved Jesus and longed her whole life to bring glory to his name, what stayed with me was she, she had this extraordinary glow it was like her face shone. It's the only way I could describe it. Her body was failing, but her face shone. And it was like her holiness, her beauty, her glory, in fact, shone through brighter than ever before. And it was completely and utterly captivating. James writes, blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, because having stood the test, they will receive the crown of life the Lord has promised to those who love him. 
Your passion is what you're prepared to suffer for. That's what the word passion means. Your passion is what you're prepared to suffer for. I wonder today, what are you prepared to suffer for? You might be struggling to stand firm in the trial you're facing today, in the test you're facing today. There's a promise in this passage that there is a blessing, there is a reward which is waiting for you, a crown of life, a crown that the Lord gives to those who love him, who've responded to his love with love, a free gift. But in one sense, it's also connected to the trial you face. The cross you bear is the crown you will wear. Look at Jesus. I mean, Jesus, at the hour of his greatest trial, they push a crown of thorns onto his head as an insult. But what they didn't know was that for all eternity, Jesus is worshipped by billions as the lamb who was slain. The marks of his cross are the jewels in his crown because they're not scars of shame, their scars of glory. He's worshipped by millions, not because he avoided trial and trouble, but because he embraced it in order to win me, in order to win you. True love suffers. True love stands firm in the trial. And when you know, when you see, when you feel in your heart, that there is one who went through the greatest trial for you, then you can trust that whatever you are facing right now, his love is stronger than the trial you face. His power is greater. His grip on you is tighter than anything you face. And he can use even that trial to work something in you which is beautiful, has a huge impact on you and those around you and turn even the most difficult things in your life for your good and for his glory. In Jesus' name, amen.